would like to say, first of all, it is a privilege to be here. Uh, I do thank the world of your pastor, and uh, I always enjoy coming to a church where I know there is a really, really good preacher in in that church as pastor, because I know that the weeds will be beat down. And a lot of times you get in churches, it ain't like that. And uh, you got to go in and don't know what kind of doctrine has been being preached, but y'all are lucky, and Brother Kevin, I'd like to say you are one of my heroes, and I sure do appreciate everything that you have done in my life and the way God has used you to preach to me. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning and uh, do my best to try to share what God has put upon my heart. First of all, I'd like to speak a little bit about the ministry and talk to you a little bit about what what God's called me to do. Uh, most of y'all probably remember I was here uh, last year and uh, uh, gave some updates and I think I was here the year before that and actually gave you my testimony and told you what the ministry was about and we've, we've just been plugging along. Uh, we've seen a few graduate. We've had a couple of uh, uh, two-year people graduate. Uh, we had a guy graduate after six months. I usually won't graduate him with a diploma and and uh, and my blessings. That I usually don't do that after six months. I, now I tell them it's a six-month program, and then at the end of six months, they come up and tell me they're ready to leave, and I say, "Well, that's your opinion, but not mine." And I said, "You're welcome to leave, but you ain't leaving with a diploma until I think you're ready." That may sound harsh, but I'm going to put my name on it saying I think they're better and think they're doing good. I'm going to think they're better and think they're doing good. I, that's just the way it is. And um, But I did. I signed off on this young man after six months. And he's uh, it's a year later, he's in the church, a member of our Clifton Baptist Church, our brother Jimmy. He's married now. Um, uh, told me the other day, he said, uh, he said, this paying tithes things works. I said, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we, we even teach our guys at the house about tithing. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the book. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I, I know some Baptists don't believe it. Uh, I had one tell me the other day. He said, oh, that's under the law. I said, really? I said, Abraham was paying them for the law was written. Lord God. <laughs> <laughs> you messed that up bad. You think Tyler came in on the law. Uh, but anyway, that's enough of that. I don't want to kill what little spirit will be here. Uh, do, uh, do continue to pray for the house. We've got a guy who's been there two years. Michael L. Uh, is his name. Um, I don't know that I've had anybody do any better or grow much more than he has in the two years he's been there. Um, I'm scared to death because he comes from a rich family. Um, I don't know what y'all consider rich. I mean, they're millionaires. I mean, that's rich where we're from. And, uh, I mean, they're not Bill Gates rich, but they're millionaires. And they like to get together and have wine for dinner and stuff like that. And I really, my biggest fear is, is his family and him thinking he can fit back in socially with them. 
And uh, we have preached that to him for two years to the point where I think he has a hold of it, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that goes. So y'all do remember him in prayer, pray for him as he's getting ready to leave. He, he could have left three or four months ago, but me and him sat down and talked about it, and he said he'd been praying about it, and he said he thought God was opening the door for him to leave in the spring. And he said, I want to leave in, in April. And so I thought I'd test him real quickly. And I said, well, won't you wait to the end of April so we can do a big celebration at the church for you? I said, at the end of April. He said, well, we'll do it at the end of April. So I said, well, <laughs> all right. Maybe, maybe he is going to be okay. So, But anyway, keep him in mind. Pray for him. Um, We've got some good guys at the house right now. It's good, as good a group of men as I've ever had at the house. Uh, most of them are interested in, 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 in the Bible. They're, they're good guys. But most of them are interested in the Bible. Uh, it, it is one thing that I have noticed, and, and, and I don't know if you run into this with regular church people or not. But it amazes me how many of the men come to the house... And they know, they, they, they know more about how the Bible works than I do. And they come in telling me what a relationship they have with Jesus coming off the street as an addict and alcoholic and how, how the relationship thing works. And one of the hardest things I've learned to do is you've got to unteach them the nonsense that they've been taught. And... Uh, I'm telling you, there's a lot of these TV guys, man, that are doing great harm to the cause of Christ. Uh, a lot of the guys come in with, with bad, bad understanding of what it means to be a Christian. This thing ain't sign up to see what kind of welfare program that heaven has. It really ain't. This thing ain't sign up to serve Jesus to see what he'll do for you. Matter of fact, he done enough at Calvary for you to serve him from now till the end of time, and you will not get the debt paid back. And one of the things we have really tried to, to, to push here lately, because it's, it's got so prevalent, the prosperity gospel has got so prevalent. And, and, and most of us in here would just, we, we would repulse, repull back just quickly at a full-blown prosperity gospel like a Joel Osteen-type gospel or something. Most of us know that's wrong. But we've let it creep into our own good fundamental Baptist churches. Well, if I serve God and I do this, then God will do this. You didn't read that. You made that up. James said, when all comes down the pike and it all falls and all goes to pieces... He said, you ought to be happy because you're getting to serve God. If serving God is reward enough for serving God. And the reason I spent a little time on that is I've had to remember that this week. We've had some things come up in the ministry. And I, I mean, preacher, let's just be honest. We all want to be successful in what we do. That's just part of human nature. But God never called me to be successful. He called me to be faithful. And sometimes that ain't the easiest thing for me to remember, brother. Because I like to be successful. And uh, 
we've had some things happening and things happen with our van that we gotta gotta get fixed and don't know how we're gonna get that fixed and then the landlord called we've been renting the same place for seven years and they said uh, by the way we're selling that thing in uh, April so you're gonna have to move out and find a new place to go and we're like what so all that comes down on you at one time and you get to wondering well what in the world am I doing wrong well, the truth of the matter is, and thank God for men that you can call like Brother Seifert, maybe you ain't doing nothing wrong. Maybe it's just what the Lord wants to run by you, and he don't ask my permission. He just says, here it is, deal with it, and it's my job to deal with it and keep being faithful, whether I'm successful or not. But I would ask you all to pray about some of that stuff, because I'm not, I'm not super... Um, Excited about trying to find a place to go. I know that's going to cost a tremendous amount of money to move, even if we try to just rent another place. We do have a lead on a house that's a potential rent-to-own. Now, I don't know how most rent-to-owns work, but this one is to rent it a year, and at the end of that year, make a decision on whether you want to buy it or not. I don't know how most rent-to-owns work, but that's the way this one will work. And uh, I don't know if that's something we're going to try to go with or not, but um, the numbers they're talking about are numbers, I think, that are feasible. But then again, I mean, what if, what's feasible to God? Sometimes... I, you, you, you know what I mean? I mean, if, if God decides he wants to give us the Biltmore State, I mean, that's his business. He can do it. I mean, he probably ain't going to, but he can. I mean, I trust that God can do whatever he chooses to do. He just ain't let me know exactly what that is yet. And uh, Sometimes that ain't the, that's the hard part is, is, is maintaining faith when he ain't spoke to you. Is holding on in... Uh, Brother Lockie, James Lockie, uh, preached a message uh, between the fire and the rain on Mount Carmel. So what are you going to do between the fire and the rain, brother? I'm telling you what, the fire, between the fire and the rain is the longest time you'll ever spend in your life between anything. And that's where we're at right now in Hope After Dope Ministries. We're between the fire and the rain, and uh, I would ask for you all to pray on that. Don't know what kind of situation we're going to get in there. Um, financially, we know it's not going to be cheap. Just to rent a U-Haul to move over from one house to the other ain't cheap. But, I mean, get lights switched over and all, all that stuff. I mean, ain't none of that stuff cheap, man. And uh, I used to have a lot of trouble talking about money. But I figured I, out a long time ago... I can talk about it, and then God will work on your heart, or he won't work on your heart. It's still going to come from God, whether he uses you to do it or uses somebody else to do it. So it don't bother me to talk about it no more. And I really believe this, and Ben's brother taught on it this morning. I'll bring it up. You know, the only miracle in all four Gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. Do you know that? You know why I believe that is? It changed how God took care of his people. Old Testament, he'd just rain brand out of heaven to feed that bunch, wouldn't he? Bowed a bunch of ducks in, cut their heads off on the way in, fried them up. That's why that's what he did in the Old Testament, wasn't he? Huh? That's what he did in the Old Testament. 
See, boy, a bunch of ducks in up to their knees. They ain't duck tits coming out their nose. That's what it says. Because he got tired of raining angel food out of heaven. He changed how he fed them. He could, could he not done the same thing in the New Testament? I mean, heck, far he could have dropped them prime rib down if he'd wanted to. But he said, I'm going to use one of my people. And I'm going to bless what he gives to take care of my people. And everybody talks about how little the boy gave. The boy gave what he had. The boy didn't give little. The boy gave all he had. And I think the boy probably wound up with 12 baskets of leftovers to take back to his mama's. A lot of people think the disciples got it. They's a bunch of doubters. I'd say the one that had some belief got, got the leftovers, got to take them back home. So I think got them. But the, I can't prove it and you can't either. But that's my opinion. So, But anyway, that's why churches like this and, and, and all across, um, I, I, I say America, and I used to say America, and then I'd, correct myself, but it's getting close to America. I mean, we're, we're as far out as Texas and North Dakota now and up and down the East Coast, and uh, God's just been blessing us and gracious to us to let us see things and go places and meet people, and I appreciate him for that. Don't, that's, that's amazing. And it's his ministry anyway. He, he can run it the way he wants to, but y'all do keep us in prayer and, and help us think about that, and we'll let you know and uh, your pastor's pretty faithful to stay in touch with me, um, and uh, I know he was really stayed in touch with me a lot a couple of years ago when when Sue died and uh, I was going through all of that. And I appreciate that kind of friendship and that kind of compassion. That's that's really I never let I'll never get over that. Never get beyond that. So thank you for that. All right, let's try to preach a little bit this morning, Matthew. Chapter 26. The last time I was here, I think, I preached a message entitled, The Danger of Being Ungrateful. And it was about Rachel and Leah. You probably don't remember it, but it was about the, the, the fact that Leah was grateful and Rachel was ungrateful. And how that, I mean, we know that Rachel is, we're going to see Rachel when we get to heaven. But Rachel let ungratefulness get in her heart and in her life, and it cost her dearly. I mean, she wound up beside the road in a ditch with a rock rolled over it, and Leah wound up in Abraham's sepulcher. I mean, uh, it, it, there's just no way that that story should have ended that way when you read how that story started. But the fact is that Rachel let something get in her life that caused her to become ungrateful. And so that started me on a series of messages entitled, Dangerous Things That Can Happen to Christians. And preacher, I really wanted to, uh, to stick with people I can say, this person's in heaven. Because I want people to understand, good people, good Christian people, can have things get inside them 
that can cause all kinds of problems. So just because you saved don't mean you sanctified all the way. You still living in the flesh. I know there's uh, they, they some popular belief out there that once you get saved, you can live perfect. But if you can, Paul hadn't figured it out. Because he said every time I try to do something right, I do something wrong. That's who Paul said he was. So I wanted to preach these messages, and God has get, opened it up, and he gave us the danger of ungratefulness. He's gave us the danger of raising your family in the world, the danger of following your heart, the danger of greed, the danger of racism, the danger of doing good things the wrong ways, the danger of being comfortable. And the one I want to look at this morning, and this affects most of us if we're being honest about it, it is the danger of being prideful. And it can happen in an instant. <laughs> Matthew chapter 26, and we'll pick up reading in verse 26. The Bible says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. But I say unto you, I will not henceforth, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the mouth of Olives. Brother Kevin, will you pray for us this morning before we try to preach? Yes, God. Amen. All right, in the portion of Scripture that I just read this morning, I would say, I, I believe in my heart, what I read this morning is probably, if not the, 
it's in the top two or three church services in human history. I think it's probably the greatest church service in human history. I mean, I've been in a lot of great services, brother. Me and you've been in some services where the winds got to stirring, brother. We, we've seen some great services, ain't we? I mean, you, y'all are here. Brother Kevin is a great preacher. I'm sure you've had some great services here. But in the service that I just read you about, I mean, let's think about what just happened here. I've been in some great services where, where the man of God preaching was doing a great job, and I know you've got a great... But come on, man, this is Jesus preaching. I mean, Brother Kevin, you're a great preacher, but this, this is Jesus, man. <laughs> I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? Come on. I, I don't know that you, can, you can't get a better preacher, can you? I mean, this, is, this ain't just the man of God. This is the God man. And I'm going to use that phrase, the man of God, a lot in this. Understand, I understand that this particular preacher is more than just the, the man of God. He's the God man, but... But, I mean, how could it get? You can't get a better preacher. And what is he preaching? The gospel. You can't preach anything better. There is no better message than the gospel. So you have the greatest possible preacher preaching the greatest possible message. And then it says they have a shouting time and they... And they sang songs and they lead. I mean, Jesus is the song leader. I mean, I've been around some great singing. I've been around some angelic singing. And I've seen some, I, I mean, uh, the old boy up at Tylersville, he's, he's as good as they get at leading that stuff. But he ain't Jesus. I, I mean, come on. I, would, I will issue you a challenge today. You try to find or think about a service where you've got these three elements beat. You've got Jesus the song leader and preacher and the gospel being preached and the disciples shouting the house down. I, I don't know how you get much better service. Now, I'm going somewhere. It's why I'm picking. It's why I am wanting you to understand what kind of time we are talking about. We are talking about spiritually as high as you can get. I mean, all of, most of you have been in good services. I mean, honestly, Brother Kevin, I've left Taylorsville before wondering if I could even drive because I felt so lightheaded. Because of the Spirit just overwhelming you. That has to be where they're at right now. It has to be that kind of spiritual fulfillment. They've listened to Christ preach. They've listened to Christ sing. They've shouted the house down. They've waved their hands. They've had a hoedown. Then the man of God preaches a warning. And y'all, forgive me for my voice, it, 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 I've, it's a little gone from all the coughing. Then said Jesus unto them all, unto them, all you shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I'm risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Now the man of God, I mean, 
We're talking about they've had a service. Now the man of God preaches a warning. You would think that when you've got a preacher like Jesus preaching in the pulpit and everything's going good and you're shouting the house down, when he gives a warning, you would have thought they'd have tore the mourner benches up right then. I mean, that's what I would have thought if I'd have been there. I would like to think when Jesus said, Deny, all y'all will deny me tonight for it is written, I will smite the shepherd in the flocks and the sheep of the flock should be scattered. I would like to think if I'd have been sitting there at night, my, my response would have been, oh my God, Jesus, please, please tell me it ain't me, God, please. I'd like to think that my response would have been that I'd have got on my face in an altar and said, God, please give me strength not to be the one. God, please help me have strength not to be the one. That's what I'd like to think. But more than likely, I would have done what Peter done. Now look at what Peter says. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men should be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. The danger of being prideful, number one, is the arrogance of pride. Peter looked Christ in the face and said, You don't know who you're talking to, big boy. I'm Peter. Now, 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 now before we get too mad, let's think about who Peter is. I mean, how'd you keep saying this morning? Peter ain't some redneck from Pontotoc, Mississippi. Peter is an apostle that's walked on water. Peter was at the grave of Lazarus when a, when a man dead four days got up and come out. Peter does have a little bit uh, of a resume about what kind of Christian he is. And when Peter heard this warning, Peter popped his suspenders and said, Look here, Jesus, you don't know who you're talking to. Now, you might need to preach that other bunch in there, but you don't need to tell me that. You know how often that happens to me going up and down the, uh, the road preaching different places? Brother Kevin, it happens to me all the time. I'll go somewhere and I'll get in the pulpit and I'll preach my ever-loving guts out. And somebody will come by and they'll say this to me at the back. Preacher, I really love that message. I just wish my cousin was here. He needed to hear that so bad. Do you know what they literally just said to me? Now, they wouldn't say it like this because they're too proper. But this is what they literally just said to me. Preacher, we thank you for coming by. But I really wish God had the sense to send you here to preach that message when somebody was here that needed to hear it and you didn't drive all the way down here to waste your time to preach that message to a bunch of us that didn't need to hear it. I mean, that's literally what they just said to me. And a lot of y'all are looking at me like you've made that statement or at least thought about it in your, in your own mind before. Man, I wish so-and-so was at church today because they, they needed to hear that. You ever thought that God might be smart enough to have you at church because you needed to hear it? See, that's what happens right here. Now, look, 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 at the, look, look back at the text. Peter said, you might be preaching to that other bunch, but I don't need to hear it. 
Then the man of God says, just in case you think I ain't talking to you, verily, verily, tonight before the cock crows, you will deny me thrice. And in verse 35, and I promise you we are coming back to that verse, so keep it in mind. Verse 35, Peter looks Jesus dead in the eye and tells him, look here, God, I know you're God, but you're wrong. I won't deny you. I'll die for you. And you say, well, I'd have never done that. But the truth is, a lot of us do it every Sunday. You sit in the pulpit, and the man of God preaches, and whatever's being preached pricks your heart. But you're not coming to the front. You're not going to come up here and get in the altar and ask God to help you. Like, you don't know who I am. It's exactly what Peter was saying. Danger of being prideful is the arrogance of pride. It ain't me. This other bunch may need it, but not me. Number two, it's avoid doing the little things. Not just the arrogance of pride, but you'll start avoid doing the little things. Look with me in verse 20, I mean 36. Then come Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane, and he said unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go yonder and pray. And he took with him Peter the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Tarry you here and watch with me. Now let's get down to verse 40. And he come unto his disciples and findeth them asleep and said unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? <coughs> the first thing I see here is it, 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 it's almost like it's a sarcasm, isn't it? He, he don't call the two sons of Zebedee by name. Right. He walks up and he says, Peter. It's almost like you was talking about dying for me a minute ago. Now you won't watch for me for one hour? But see, Peter didn't think that that was something big enough for him to do. See, if Peter had got told to build a tabernacle like when he was on the Mount Transfiguration or whatever, he, he'd have been at it. But Jesus said, hey, I tell you what, I just want you to sit and watch for me. See, you, you, you're going to realize that pride's starting to trickle into your life when things are too little for you to do. <laughs> when the preacher says, when the man of God says, hey, I need somebody to make sure that the lights get cut off in the bathroom every week. Well, why can't you tell one of the kids that? Well, because he told you to do it. I need to make sure that, I, 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 I don't know, the no parking signs get, get wiped off every week. Whatever it is. There ain't nothing too little to do at church. And, and you're not doing it for, for the preacher. You're doing it for God anyway. I mean, what, what, what kind of service for God is too mundane for your great talent? 
Watching was too mundane for Peter's great talent. He said, watch. Heck, I'm taking me a nap. See, the danger of being ungrateful, I mean, no, the danger of being prideful, not only is the arrogance of pride, I mean, psh, you might need to tell that other bunch that, but I got this. You ain't got to, you ain't got to worry about me, preacher. Arrogance of pride. What do you mean watch? It's avoid doing the little things of pride. <coughs> it's also the apathy of prayer. Look with me here. Verse 41. This time Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time. Now look down at verse 43. It says, And he came back and found them asleep again. For their eyes were heavy. First time he went away, he said, he said, all right, look, he said, I need you to watch for me. I'll... Peter ain't going to do that. That ain't enough for him. This time he went away, he said, he said, I need you to watch and pray. But now notice what he tells him to pray about. Now, if he'd have told him, I believe with everything in me, if he'd have told Peter to pray for him, or if he'd have told Peter to pray for some, for some great miracle, Peter would have been, oh, Lord God, help us, Jesus. I mean, he'd have been letting her fly when, when, when Christ got back. But he said, I need you to pray that ye enter not into temptation. He said, because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is willing. You know, I did some surveys, and when I find out we pray very little that we don't enter into temptation. I find out that very few Christians spend time on the altar every week asking God to help keep them out of temptation and give them strength not to get into grievous sin. It's because they're prideful and don't think it can happen. You know better people than us has failed? When did you think you didn't need the help of God to keep from sinning? But, but, but really, I mean, I've done some surveys and, 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 and you can't do them out like in a show open, open hands because people lie about it. You've got to deal with them with either secret balance or stuff like that, they really will. And, and, and you'll find out that very few people go to the altar and pray that they enter not into temptation. Now, they'll go pray for a sick loved one in a heartbeat. They'll go pray when something's wrong and they need help. They'll even come up and do a Thanksgiving prayer and thank God for what, what he's done. They'll do any of that praying before they'll come up there and say, God, I, I'm weak and I might wind up sinning. I, I, that's why her churches are sitting full of sin because people think they can handle it on their own. See, that's the danger of being prideful. See, not only is it the arrogance of pride where... Yeah, I hope that other bunch listening today. 
There's some of y'all thinking that today, man. I wish somebody's here to hear this, man. They need to hear this prideful as they are. Not only will you start avoid doing the little things, and, and, and the little things cannot just only be what your preacher's asking. The little things can be, the little things can be reading your Bible like you should, right. praying like you should, right. tithing like you should, right. coming to Sunday school 15 minutes early so you can have better fellowship like you should. The little things, little things that nobody will notice. You'll start avoiding them. I don't need to do them. Do you know who I am? I got this. And then you'll start getting apathy towards those self-progression prayers. God, help me not enter in temptation. God, help me not sin. Please, God, help me not do that. I'm going to need your strength again, God. <laughs> you know, I think sometimes, preacher, we're afraid to tell God we're weak. Oh, yeah. I, I, know, I, know, I, know, I know we're not going to tell each other we're weak. But I think we've got to the point where we're afraid to tell God we're weak. It's almost like we think we can trick God into believing that we're strong. You know how I know that? You know how often I hear this testimony? Somebody will stand up and they'll be testifying. And, 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 and I mean, they mean it well. They mean it well. But if they really think about what they're saying, they'll stand up and they'll start testifying and, and, and they'll tell you how bad it was and that they used to be this and they used to be that. And they'll say, God saved me 15 years ago. And then they'll add this in there. Now, since I've been saved, I ain't been perfect. Like you think you've lived good enough that I would believe you were perfect since you've been saved. Like you think you need to put a disclaimer on that. Is that really how you... Do you think your life shines forth as such a bright star that when you give a testimony you need to let us know that you had not been perfect? The Bible says you ain't even been good. But there's something in us that may, I honestly believe those people think that when they say, I know I haven't been perfect since I've been saved. Well, yeah. I knew that before you stood up. The truth of the matter is, this ought to be the way it it said. God saved me and he saved me five or six years ago. And preacher, I don't know why he saved me because since he saved me, I've been a rotten, no good for nothing, low down scum. But God's been faithful. Let me tell you about how good God's been. Even though I fail him every time I get up off the altar, I spin gravel in his face. But God's still been faithful. But you've been so good, you think you need to tell us you ain't perfect. That's where we're at now. That's the apathy of prayer. Why would you? Why would you pray that you enter not into temptation? You don't think it's possible. You think you're beyond it. The danger of being prideful. Number four. <laughs> the aggressiveness towards sinners. Look at verse 51. 
And behold, one of them was with Jesus, stretched his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Now we know from the other gospels this is Peter, right? And we also can pretty much say for certainty that Peter wasn't trying to cut his ear off. Peter's trying to cut his head off, but Peter's a fisherman, not a sword fighter. Uh, Y'all got that, all right. So he, he didn't get his head, he just got an ear. I see this happening all across America. Everywhere I go, it's, a, it, it's the same thing. As, now, Jesus turns around and rebukes Peter for this. And I've heard people preach, especially a bunch of these liberals, that uh, that verse proves that Jesus don't want you to have a sword. But that ain't nothing to do with that verse. Matter of fact, the Bible later on says if you ain't got a sword, say you can get one. Jesus is okay with you protecting yourself. He's all right with you you having a, a, a pistol in your car for when somebody tries to come rob you. He's okay with that. This is Peter attacking a guy that needs the gospel. The guy that comes at Peter didn't come to hurt Peter. That guy has come out from the high priest's house to take Jesus, and that guy's lost. But he don't look like Peter. He don't act like Peter. He don't talk like Peter. He don't smell like Peter. Peter tries to kill him. I watch that happen all across America. For some reason, they expect sinners to walk in the house of God. They ain't a verse in the Bible that tells a sinner to come to the house of God. The verses in the Bible says for us to go compel them to, and bring them in. It's our job to get them here. Heck, far from what I'm noticing, when they do come, half the time we're running them off because they don't look like us. They don't act like us. And, and I'm telling you, let me, let, let me go ahead and say this, get this out of the way. I'm again this stuff I'm fixing to talk about, but I, I, I got better stuff to do than stand up and preach on it every Sunday. Homosexuality is a sin. The Bible says in the Bible that homosexuality is a sin. But we, it, it, I, I refuse to stand in this pulpit and use derogatory language and terminology to talk about these people and put these people down. How am I ever going to win them like that? I'm not going to back up on what the Bible says about their lifestyle. But I don't have to try to take a sword and cut their head off. I can do it in a loving manner. But the problem is, that's an easy sin for us to beat up on because we're prideful within ourselves, knowing that there's things wrong with us. So that's a sin that's easy for us to attack. Just not going to do it. It's not going to stand in the pulpit and do things like that. Abortion is wrong. But do you know you can be forgiven for that? 
I think it's a horrible law in America, and I think what's happened in America, it, 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 is, it has become completely horrible. But if we're going to preach on the horrible side of it, and we're going to stand up here, and we're going to compare America to Pharaoh, and compare America to, to Hitler, and talk about how these people were killing their babies, and, and how we're killing the babies. If we're going to make those comparisons, then don't forget to let them know that there's still forgiveness at the foot of the cross. And it doesn't matter what they've done, they can still come to Jesus. Because you're not going to win these people to the Lord by taking a sword to them. But that's what happens when you get full of pridefulness. They used to beat us drug addicts up a lot. Now, us drunks, we were the running joke. I remember a preacher making this statement. He was talking about the, the word alcoholic. And he said, all that word is, is liberal sugarcoating for a bunch of no good drunks. And I remember him making that statement. And me sitting in the audience before I saved. And thinking to myself, well, why would I get saved then if I'm no good? He got a man from that. Not just amen preacher. Amen preacher. Because it cut a group. It took a sword to a group. He attacked the head and got the ear. Because I couldn't hear nothing else he said. He went for my head. But all he did was cut my ear. They could have preached the rest of the night. Brother Kevin, you could have got up and preached afterwards in love and compassion. It wouldn't have mattered. I wasn't listening. Think about what part Peter cut off. He took his ability to hear the gospel away by being aggressive towards sinners. Lastly, it will cause you to align yourself with the world. Flip over to verse 69. Now Peter sat without, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all. I know not what thou sayest. And he went, and when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him. And said unto them that were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again he denied it with an oath. I did not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also one of them, for thy speech betray thee. Then began he to curse Now, if I've done my studying right, Brother Kevin, in three hours, Peter has went from the greatest church service in human history 
to giving a little girl a cussing outside the house of God in three hours. Uh, brother, that's a big that's a big change in three hours. I got me thinking, man. What what must have happened? So I went back looking. I said, I said, well, maybe he cheated on his wife sometime in them three hours, and that's what caused it. Can't find no adultery. Maybe he got drunk, done some drugs. Can't find none of that either. Maybe he stole something. Blasphemed God or something. You know some of the big sins we talk about. Surely something big had to happen. The only thing I can find is he got to eat up with pride. It's the only thing I can find he got to eat up with pride. And in three hours, pride took him from the greatest church service in human history to giving a little girl a cussing outside the house of God. Now, I know it can't happen to you. You're better than Peter. But it happened to Peter. I know where you sit spiritually, you're safe. But it happened to Peter. See, I don't think we understand how bad God dislikes pride. You know, God made him a list over there about sins that he didn't like. You know, everybody says sin is sin, and, and, and to a point that's true, but God, he said, they, he said, let me tell you about seven of them over here. He said, I, he said, they seven of them, he said, that, he said, now they, he said, he said, now they're all bad. He said, but these seven right here, I think it reads it like this. Six I hate, yea, seven's an abomination. I think it reads it something like that. He says, these sins, he said, man, he said, these are, these, these are the worst of the, of the bunch. I got to thinking, now, if you was writing down your seven worst sins, what you think is worst, what would be at number one? What would be the first and off the list? I'll just tell you mine, and, and, and mine would probably be pedophilia. I think people raping little youngins is pretty rough to me. I'd probably put that number one. That'd probably be where I'd start at. You know that wasn't what God started with? You know what he put number one? Pride. He said, a proud look. He said, I hate that. He said, he said that's worse than the whole bunch of them. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have put pride in my list. I just wouldn't have thought of it, preacher. But that's why God and me are different. God put it number one. I challenge you to come up with a, a sin that don't base its start somewhere in pride. It took Peter from the pinnacle of spirituality to pretty much the pinnacle of depravity in three hours. <clears throat> then began he, that's Peter, to curse, that's the little girl, and to swear, saying, I know not 
the man, that's Jesus, and immediately the cock crowed. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out of the house and said, Jesus, you can preach to that other bunch, but I told you I'd always have you back. I'd stay with you. You didn't have to worry about me. I told you I had this thing under control. Look at me now, Jesus. It don't say that, does it? That's what it said back in 35, though, wasn't it? Look back at 35. Now, Peter just heard the words in in verse 34. So the verse 35 is Peter's answer to the words Jesus spoke to him. You see what I'm saying? Does everybody see what I'm saying there? All right. Verse 75 is Peter's answer to remembering the words. You see what I'm saying? Now, what if Peter had answered? I understand. Please don't nobody come up and explain, try to explain sovereignty to me. I got it, okay? I believe it. But what if Peter had answered in verse 35 like he answered in verse 75? What if he'd have took the man of God at his word enough to just went ahead and weep bitterly and begged for the help of God back in verse 35. I will tell you this much, because of the way God hates pride, verse 75 is coming. Everybody going to get one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as Tom Gillum says, this is Yes. This is no, this is I don't know. Everybody getting a verse 75. Because God ain't letting pride stand in his presence. So the best thing I can come up with is why not go ahead and get rid of it in 35. Save yourself 20 verses of the just pure grief. Because 75 is coming. It's dangerous for a Christian to get prideful. Preacher at your service. 